Bandwidth for this week in photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is sponsored by Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip for a free downloadable book. Welcome to another exciting episode of This Week in Photography. Hey, everybody. I gave you both versions that time. This is Scott Bourne, uh, your host, normally my co-host, my little buddy Alex is with us, and he says, hey, everybody. So I say welcome to This Week in Photography, but he's somewhere in the France France, in the country of France, I think. In the France region. In the France region, south of France, who knows. Uh, he's out gallivanting, as he's known to do. Then he's off to Africa after that. So we don't know when he'll be back. But we will do our very best to soldier on without him and uh, wish him safe travels and hope he comes back with lots of great stories. But we do have some all-stars here on the panel to help out this week. Um, from the Democratic National Convention, where he's been on assignment, we have one of the world's leading photojournalists, Steve Simon. Welcome to the show, Steve. Great to be here from uh, Obama Maniaville. And you're headed out to uh, St. Paul, I assume. Yes, I am. Actually, I leave uh, tomorrow morning early, and uh, it'll be very interesting to, to see how different the experience is going to be. You're going to be an equal opportunity photographer. I'm an objective journalist. I'll okay. cover all sides. So you'll be doing that. We also have, from his new home, just across the, the sound from me, Ron Brinkman up in Seattle. How you doing, Ron? I'm doing great. We've got a lovely day here in Seattle, so naturally I'm going to be flying back to Los Angeles. Makes perfect <laughs> sense. Yeah, this was the one day that we were scheduled to have a lovely day this month. I'm sorry that you missed it. Yeah, we've had two weeks of uh, not so lovely. and. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, and that's about as good as it gets, my friend, up here. You'll now know why people have yeah, homes in Southern California pretty soon. <laughs> yep. And you'll also know why it's possible to get really cheap rent in Seattle by comparison. Um, <laughs> also helping out today is our superstar producer, Aaron Mailer, who's in the Washington, D.C. area. How you doing, Aaron? I'm doing well. Hey, guys. So hey, uh, we, have a, we have a quorum, more than enough to get on with today's show. Uh, we are working from my little studio here in Gig Hub, and we don't know. We're trying some new technology, so we're hoping this all works. Do you want to mention bandwidth for this week in photography is provided by Cashfly at Cashfly.com, and Twip is sponsored by Audible for a free downloadable book. A free downloadable book. Visit audiblepodcast.com/twip. And a new sponsor is joining us today. Our new premium premier sponsor is Drobo. More on that in just a minute want to get to some housekeeping hey guys we do have the linking contest going on till october 30th vmware fusion a copy of lightroom copy of aperture a pair of uh, jbl reference 220 earphones an adobe ball cap a couple of my books on one software essentials version two for photoshop elements a small canon camera gadget bag a rhino skin ipod case and a copy of the dv mat plug-in comes to about a grand Woo. That's a lot. That's not bad. That's not a yeah. bad. For, for doing good. a link, come on. That's, you know, typing a few letters and you have a chance to win a grand. And the odds aren't terrible. I mean, we have about 1,000 sites linking to us, so you have a one in 1,000 chance. That's way better than the lottery. Got to try. Got to try. Also, we do want to mention there's only about a week left in the Aperture Nature Photography Workshops contest. You can win $2,500 worth of prizes there, plus all expenses paid trip to Grand Tetons National Park, chance to learn Aperture, work with uh, Steve Simon, who's going to be one of the teachers we are able to confirm now. 
We're very excited looking about forward that. to having you there. I'll be there. We have a, a fellow from Los Angeles I'll be talking about later and an Apple superstar. The four of us will be there along with four amateurs. We're going to have a great time. So check that out. You can get there quickly by typing F64.com. Let's get into the news. Canon announces finally. <sighs> The EOS 50D. Now, this wasn't the camera everybody was hoping for. You know, I saw that press release, and I saw the first four letters, EOS 5, and I thought surely that was going to be followed by D Mark II, but instead, it was 50D. Uh, Ron, did you look at this announcement? Yeah, this this was a little bit of a surprise, I think. Uh, You know, the 40DD is, is exactly a year old. And uh, I, I'm still not quite sure. I don't think it came. It was announced at the price, and I think there's some question of whether this is intended to be the next generation of, in the same line, uh, or or if it's sort of a, a mid-range one that they're putting in, kind of between where the 40D and the 50D or 40D and the 5D is. Well, a couple of things to point out here is it does have HDMI output, which is something that the flagship 1DS Mark III does not have. I thought that was interesting. Uh, it does have live view. Digic 4, the new processor, this could be the secret to how Canon plans to combat Nikon's low-noise cameras. We haven't got a test unit yet, so we don't know. The, the thing that I find interesting, Aaron, is 15 megapixels crammed onto that small sensor. That should equate to more noise using basic math. What do you think? Um, I would think it would too, but uh, you know, with their higher ISO claims, <clears throat> and apparently they're claiming that the uh, sensor design has what they call a gap- gapless micro lenses on it, uh, supposedly going to you know increase the quality at the sensor level, and potentially reduce noise. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. I think you have, I mean, to, those go are... to, you have to go to certain beaches to get gapless in the United States, don't you? <laughs> oh, that's something else. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, those are big numbers. I was claiming you know it'll shoot up to ISO uh, twelve thousand eight hundred. So well, just, because, you know, just because the dial goes yeah. to twelve thousand. Exactly. You know, there's a lot of ways to get to uh, you know say you can shoot at that, but in terms of what the quality that comes out of it, that's the big question. This might be more up your alley, Steve. Nikon, not to be uh, outdone, launches the D ninety. This is a twelve point nine megapixel DX format CMOS sensor, and uh, it has. A lot of goodies on it, not the least of which something unusual is 24 frames per second video. What do you think of that, Steve? I think a lot of people are excited by this camera. I mean, you know, it, it's it's actually the perfect camera for sort of today's uh, newspaper in transition because a lot of the guys are having to shoot video as well as well as still. And uh, Nikon kind of answered that with this, and it's it's a relatively inexpensive camera as well. Thousand um, dollars, really, kind of. Yeah, I think it's uh, priced around a thousand dollars. Yeah, I haven't had too much time to look at it, but it's it's creating quite a buzz. And I have to say, I talked to the Nikon guys here at the convention who are here along with Canon, uh, loaning out uh, a lot of the equipment, and they said that Nikon really has uh, made a lot of changes within the company, both in in Japan and the United States. And they're like kicking ass. They're very progressive. They're they're doing some some really interesting things. Also, want to point out that the um, new GPS unit that is going to be shipping for this camera also fits on most of the new Nikon cameras. It fits it fits right on the hot shoe, plugs in, and now you got your you know your geotagging stuff built right in. That's kind of interesting. It, it really is a remarkably interesting format, and I think um, it, it and the 50D will sort of battle it out. We'll see which one comes out on top. I have seen sample video from this camera, and while I'm certainly no Alex Lindsay, and I'm sure if Alex was here, let me just challenge Alex. It's Alex. 
Well, that's because he's used to using four, 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 you know, quarter million dollar cameras. But when you can have a serious quality DSLR with some good video in it, I think it's got a lot, uh, a lot of. Well, potential. and I, you know, certainly the interesting part of this is you can get some very good lenses to put in front of that sensor now, and and uh, it, it, you know, it's. It's clearly the way that things are are going in in a lot of ways. You know that merger between still photography versus, um, you know, actual action photography, video kind of thing. And I know I did read somewhere, and I don't know if this is true, that the uh, when you're shooting, you can't actually autofocus, you can't that refocus. Is, that while is shooting. correct. You have to manually focus while you're shooting. But that's to take advantage, you know, of the rack focus kind of techniques you can use on this camera. If you look at the sample right. video on Nikon's site, it's very compelling. And you can do those kind of motion picture tricks that you would do with sophisticated lenses. I mean, you know, when, when we use cam, uh, camcorders, we get nice pictures. But, you know, throw something like a, a 1.8 lens on this puppy and watch what you can do to the depth of field. Oh, my gosh. That has a lot yeah. of potential. Uh, I think it's very exciting. So Now, this is going to be like most things. This is the first iteration of it. We'll probably be real happy about it by the third iteration, but I, I think it really is, is probably the most exciting thing I've seen for a while in, in some of these cameras. And, and of course, the pros won't want to use it because sound is everything to those guys. And, you, you know, this there, I don't think there's a way to get really high-quality sound with this. But it certainly has, uh, you know, a lot of options. Bill Frakes, who speaks regularly uh, for Apple, talks about how it, at uh, Sports Illustrated, where he's the lead sports photographer, how they're combining online stills and video on almost every project he does now. So it's, it's interesting. Let's move on to the Canon EFS 18 to 200 f3.5 to 5.6 IS lens. This was announced in conjunction with the 50D. This uh, this lens does not have ultrasonic motor in, involved, which which I thought was very unusual for a Canon lens. But uh, yeah. it it does have IS, and uh, yeah, it's kind of kind of beyond though, isn't it? I mean, I think it's mostly just a response to Nikon has had a, I guess you call this a super zoom, something that goes from relatively wide to, to fairly long, and um, it's it's been a gap in Canon's lineup for a while, I think. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I it didn't it didn't cause me to jump through hoops, yeah. but. Uh, I mean, really, when you think about it, I mean, the, the sort of one lens takes all scenario of an 18 to 200 really is very attractive. Um, but when you look at the image quality, there's, there's, there's no way a lens like that is going to be as strong or as resolute no. as, you know, some right. of the, the but lenses. If but, you know, if you're an amateur and you don't need pro results, they'll be absolutely. Now, yeah, or if absolutely. you're traveling and you don't want to carry a whole lot yeah. of gear and you just want a you know, good camera with a decent lens, uh, I can see it being useful. Nikon launches the AFS DX Nikkor 18 to 105. This is a 3.5 to 5.6 lens. Now, this is an ED lens. Steve, we know that that tends to be their little better glass quality at Nikon, mm -hmm. and it is VR. It does have vibration reduction, which is kind of surprising to me because Nikon was a little stingy with putting VR on lenses at first. Now they seem to be opening up in that direction. What are your thoughts on this lens? Um, well, I, I have to say, uh, from my standpoint, I mean, the, the, the range sounds uh, kind of exciting, but uh, the, the sort of slowness of the lens. I mean, I, I only get excited uh, <laughs> 2.8 or below, anything beyond that. Well, and that it's a DX lens, and we know that Ron doesn't care, but the rest of us do. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's uh, not a lens I would buy, but it's a very interesting form factor. It also it, it has a lot of the high-end Nikon stuff for not a high-end price. So... 
Um, Aaron, why don't you tell us about our next uh, item? This is of interest to a lot of people, although for me it's kind of a yawn, but Microsoft and Nikon enter into a patent cross-licensing agreement. Uh, yeah, from the most I gather from it at the moment, uh, mostly just looking at the press release, is that uh, you know they've declared kind of buddy buddy here on technologies um, with claims of cross sharing of technology between the two companies, and you know the usual statements that this will uh, bring great things to consumers and so on. You know the specifics and the realities of what this is going to mean uh, in terms of the technology, I'm, I'm a little uncertain of, but I do know it's creating a lot of buzz in the you know in the photo blogging world at the moment. I think it's interesting. I'm sorry. I think it's actually pretty interesting just because Microsoft has – they've got a lot of interesting technology, and they haven't done really a good job of productizing it. And, you know, it may just be that, you know, as – I mean, photography is clearly moving to a world where sort of the post-processing is going to be a, a very important part of it. It already is. And uh, I, I could see a lot coming out of this. You know, I, I look at this and, you know, from an Apple user's perspective, we'll get to our poll later, uh, it's a little disappointing because, you know, uh, Microsoft is not compatible with a lot of stuff on the Apple platform. But I talked to the Nikon guys and, you know, that controversy over their new point-and-shoot D60, I think it is. Um, and they said, you know, this, this new raw file, when you have stuff like that with Nikon, it usually um, speaks to what's coming. And, and they put little, little uh, technology things that are going to be developed in further products. So uh, I suspect they'll, they'll sort of fix and make happy the, the Apple people and, and able to use this, their, their, raw, their raw files. But it also speaks to some new stuff that's going to be coming down the road. Well, I got to tell you, I hope not. <laughs> because as a Mac user, I, I, I could promise you that uh, I'll switch back to Canon if I have to use uh, IBM uh, compatible. I know, machines. I know, I know. So, and, and, you know, the, the P6000, I think, is, is that the model number? Yeah, the P6000, that's what I meant to that, speak That of. has turned out to be, you know, not well received. It, you know, we're, we're going to talk about our poll results in a minute, but... Uh, the largest response to any poll we've ever had here at TWIP was on what operating system to use, and I'm going to give you a hint of the result. Windows did not win. Um, so it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to hear this, and that's, I'm, I'm going to hope that Nikon doesn't continue to close up architecture and continue to just think that Windows is the way to go. Uh, moving right along, um, Vivitar has been around, shoot, longer than me. And every once in a while, I, I forget that they're still in business, but they've been acquired. Uh, who acquired them, Aaron? Uh, I'm not exactly sure how it's pronounced. It's Sakar, Sakar? Yeah. S-A-K-A-R is the name of the company. Um, and they're buying the brand. I mean, the brand recognition is, of course, valuable to a company. Since I don't know how to pronounce their name and I've never heard of them, you can understand what they're <laughs> brand, but That might have been a good move on their part. Exactly. They want to apparently move uh, some of their low and, and mid-priced uh, digital cameras that they're producing into uh, into the market. And I think putting them under the Vivitar brand is going to give them you know access to sales channels, but also uh, you know some rec- a recognizable name that a lot of people will know. I want to mention that uh, PhotoCalc turns your iPhone into a photographer's calculator. We need to move on, but uh, its uh, most potentially useful feature is GPS-based sunrise-sunset calculator. For those of you with an iPhone, check that out. And Adobe unveils Photoshop Element 7 and introduced the Photoshop.com membership. Um, uh, who, who knows something about this? Because I have to confess, I don't know much about this un- uh, unveiling. That Uh-oh. exciting, huh? Okay. Silence is deafening. Oh well, my God. Um, yeah. 
we we know that uh, it's out there, and if uh, somebody's uh, particular, we'll get we'll get Fred to talk about it next time yeah. he's on. If Fred shows up, uh, we will we will invite him to talk about that. Now let's move on to um, uh, a couple of other announcements. We opened up the Twip Apparel for sale, and the hats are already sold out. Boom, just wow. like that. I tried to tell people they think I'm just it's, it's just marketing hype when I say they're going to go fast. Nope, they went fast, less than a week. We do have uh, some vests left. We're sold out of double XLs, but we do have mediums, larges, and extra larges. You can get more information at twitphoto.com. And the proceeds go to help support the incredible bandwidth costs we have here on the blog, as well as uh, engineering costs associated with the servers. Yeah. I may be mistaken, uh, Scott, but I think Obama was wearing one during his speech you know, last night. I, I got to say that it did look a lot like a twip vest, and I did have that one order to Chicago, Illinois, that was they asked for FedEx overnight. It it could be. It was a large. I think that would fit him. Uh, you know, uh, President Obama, sure. if you're listening to the show, uh, you need some tips, you know, we'll, we'll come hang out and be on your photo crew. Um, this week's side of the week is a listener submission. I'm always excited when it's a listener submission because that means if people don't like it, they have to get mad at a listener and not us. And this comes from Renata Rasmussen, um, who said, This may be considered a little girly by many of your listeners, but since you're trying to appeal more to women, I don't know that we're trying to. We just try to appeal to photographers, but we want women photographers to enjoy the show. She said, I thought I'd suggest one of my favorite blogs. It's called thepioneerwoman.com slash photography. And I looked at it, and it has got some uh, really good pictures. She does uh, some food photography, and um, she talks about Lightroom and Photoshop. Um, I have to say that that uh, I, I was really impressed with this site. Did anybody else have a chance to look at the Pioneer Woman? Yeah, I poked around on a little bit. I agree. It's a it's a it's a nice site, and and yeah, I think it it may be a little bit um, focusing on things that uh, you know maybe more women can relate to, and certainly from a woman's perspective on some of this. And uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's certainly worth checking out. Well, there you go. If you have a suggestion for us on the side of the week, as did Renata, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Renata. Renata, I I don't know how else to pronounce it. Renata Rasmussen. Um, if you have suggestions, send them to twipphoto at gmail.com. We'll take a look and, and we'll throw them out there for consideration. We do have one rumor this week. Just before we went to record, Stu Mashiewicz, who's been a past guest on Twip, he's a friend of the show, posted uh, a Twitter about the latest 5D Mark II rumors. Allegedly, it's going to be 21.1 uh, megapixels, have the new Digic 4, have a HD movie mode, which would be an interesting answer to the D90 HDMI. Uh, it it would be the uh, interesting uh, camera that everybody's been waiting for. If true, I suspect we won't be waiting long. Photokina will have the answer. Let's go on to Flickr challenge and current poll. All right. Uh, just want to talk a little bit about this, guys. We, we, we've moved things over to faux trade because people said they wanted to vote. They wanted to have a say in who won the contest. You cannot get on to the contest unless you come through the special link that we put in the show notes, uh, which gets you in because faux trades in closed beta. But if you go in on that link, you can get an account. So that's sort of a backdoor way to get an account, which is free, and to be able to participate in the contest circles. Now, 
the, one of the other reasons we did this is we're trying to bring all the conversation about the contest into the show and not keep it something separate so that we involve people who are truly committed to our community because it started being more about the prizes than the photo assignment, and that's not really what we had in mind. We, we want you to get out there and use your camera. Steve, as a photojournalist, how important is it to have your hands on your camera every week? Oh, uh, you mean to, to be using your camera? Yeah, it's all important. I mean, it's like exercise. I mean, it's like breathing. It's like eating and drinking. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta sort of stay tuned. You gotta, you gotta, and it, you know, I, I think the more you shoot, the better you get. And I've said it before. Even if you don't want to get better, you will just because <laughs> that's the way it. That's the the way the process is. So yeah, uh, and I think that's one of the frustrating things. Maybe we all face is that even as photographers, uh, we don't get to shoot as much as you know we need or would like to because we've got other things to deal with. So yeah, shooting is the most important thing. That's the real. And, that's the purpose of this assignment. We want to get you out shooting, and the contest is just uh, extra. Who is there to go ahead? Oh, no, I was just going to say, uh, yeah, no question. Um, um, I forgot what I was going to say, so carry okay. on. So anyway, check that out. Come in through the uh, show notes. We'll have a link. That's the way you find it. it. means you had to listen to the show, read the show notes, come on. Remember, we want you to get out shooting. Yes, you can submit photos that you didn't take relevant to this particular photo assignment, but we're going to wait our votes for the photos that were made during this week and last week. Now, we may end up having to extend this a week because I'm going to be going to Alaska. Also, probably a good time to point out that uh, Aaron is going to take over the blog for me while I'm in Alaska. I will have no internet access or phone access for that matter. But uh, if things aren't as responsive as you're used to, give us a a little bit of a break because Alex is traveling and I'm traveling. But as soon as uh, I get back from Alaska, we will get back to normal. Also want to mention the poll. Now, this is this is staggering to me, guys. 2,544 votes. That's more votes than we've ever had in any poll. And I asked, what OS do you use? 63.5% use OS ten. 63.5. Yeah, I'm surprised. Uh, are you? I'm surprised, too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was expecting it to be a little bit more of a horse race. I was expecting a, more along the lines of 50-50, but 63.5. Uh, and then XP had 21.6. And um, we had um, Vista in there somewhere, but I guess I didn't copy those numbers. But they were roughly in the neighborhood of, you know, 20 and 15, I think. Uh, 0.2% use OS 9 still. Those are some diehard folks. Uh, (laughs) 0.7 on Unix and 0.2% other. So uh, clearly the majority of our listeners use OS 10. So when you hear us talking about Macs on this show and you say we're Mac biased, well, that's because you're Mac biased. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's surprising uh, just because uh, I, I think, and Scott, maybe you can confirm that, you know, there are, there are TWIP listeners uh, all over the place, all over the world. And uh, uh, like Ron, I, I thought it would be a little bit closer, but I'm, I'm kind of happy to hear that it, uh, it is tilted uh, in the Apple direction. Well, because used, I think it makes sense. You know, it used to be that, that professional graphics people and photographers were almost exclusively on Macs. Remember those days? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But it—I uh, mean, it's no surprise uh, the success that Apple has had these last few years. But it's uh, nice to nice to see that. And, their, it does o- and their overall market share—I remember we used to say three percent. Now it's ten percent. 
Yeah. Which is huge in numbers, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of people. But, you know, so when people say, well, software that runs on 90% of all computers in the world, blah, blah, blah. Well, it doesn't matter if it's a photography-based product because based on this survey, um, you know, uh, software that runs on Windows only is going to be ignored by a, a, a significant majority of photographers who are Mac people. Uh, are you listening, Nikon? <laughs> I was yes. just going to go there. You took my line. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Keep in mind too that the uh, you know anybody with a modern Intel Mac is able to run every operating system on that list, with with potentially the exception of OS nine. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think 0.2 percent translates to one vote from a guy named Ernie on OS nine. <laughs> and Ernie, get in touch with me. We'll, we'll find a way to get get you upgraded to the 20th century. We do have a new poll. Um, do you have a dedicated online portfolio? site other than Flickr, Fotrade, Zoomer, those kinds of things. We want to find out if you have like a dedicated blog or website with your portfolio on it. And so far, it's about 60-30 no. Uh, but we'll see. So that You're is, talking something that somebody custom rolled themselves that doesn't well, use yeah, one of the existing... Or, or, or you built a website that just has your portfolio or you have a blog that just has your portfolio, but you're not relying exclusively on something like Flickr or Fotrade or something. I just want to see how that breaks down. I thought it would be an interesting question. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's uh, move into the subject of today's show. Uh, a few shows ago, I was interviewed by the, the team here on My Wildlife Photography. Today, we're going to do Turnabout as Fair Play, and we're going to interview one of the world's premier photojournalists who happens to be a regular on our show. His name Steve Simon. He's based in New York, although he was birthed in Canada. Uh, and and uh, Steve... You know, as a photojournalist, you always bring a little bit different perspective than some of us because the rules for photojournalists are a little different. You guys are supposed to be, uh, you know, straight arrows. You're not supposed to, you know, try to bend or create a story. You're supposed to document what you see. How does that impact you as a photographer? Well, I, I think um, uh, in a way uh, it, it, it helps you because uh, you're, you're looking to find uh, your unique uh, sort of personal vision on things. Now, granted, we can talk about the DNC where I am, where I just uh, finished covering, which was exhausting but very exciting. And, you know, within the umbrella of photojournalism, you have such a diverse group. I mean, you had the wire guys with their 600-millimeter lenses anchored on a platform shooting specifically the stage and anything that moved on the stage. You had, you know, those roaming around uh, looking for celebrities. You had, I mean, it's, it's such a uh, uh, diverse umbrella to be under. The only real commonality is uh, you want to kind of tell the truth. And by that, I mean, you're not going to be messing with pixels and moving heads or, or changing uh, the integrity of the digital image other than altering the, the lightness and darkness and colors, etc. Hmm. Now, you you are at the Democratic convention, and you're going to go to the Republican convention. Talk a little bit about what that was like for you, being one of the hordes of photographers covering this really, you know, kind of historic event. Whether or not you're Democrat or Republican, the fact that a, a black American has been nominated by a major party, that's never happened before. Did that create an unusual photography style, or did you just go for, you know, things based on whatever you yeah. would normally do? 
Well, I think from, from my perspective, I mean, the fact was, I mean, I think there were over 15,000 media accredited. Uh, there was no doubt hundreds of photographers. And, and, you know, access is everything at an event like this. It's extremely choreographed. It's very limited in terms of where you can go, especially when it comes to kind of the, the main speakers. So that being said, uh, for me, it's, it's always, uh, it's, it's stressful because you want to have the maximum access, but, um, uh, you don't always get it, and, and I didn't. So you have to find a way, or at least I feel, I wanted to find a way to separate myself from the pack. I mean, I wasn't going to be able to compete with those that were aiming their 600-millimeter lenses on the stadium in terms of getting that shot. I couldn't get that shot better. So I wanted to find new ways to, to sort of uh, look at this convention. And I, I decided that, you know, of course I'm going to shoot Obama and all the major players, Kennedy, Hillary, and so on. But in terms of my story, my strength, I could maybe f- do something a little different. And I tended to focus on uh, the delegates. And, uh, and I, um, I realized early on when I was looking at uh, some of the, the, it was almost a religious experience for a lot of, for, for many of the people in the audience and you see it on their faces they're they're rapturous they're 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 lost uh, in looking at uh, you know in, in their admiration for the candidate so I, I i was looking for a little series where i would sort of capture that aspect of the political process and and you know almost the 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 love on the faces of the people which i think uh ultimately will be a, a nice little series of, of pictures to complement everything else that i'm shooting there so, Steve, were you mostly walking around? Were you mostly stuck in one place? What was the... I tell you, my body is killing me because uh, you have a lot of freedom uh, up until things get really interesting and exciting. And, you know, using last night as an example, I mean, you know, it was, there were 84, 85,000 people in the Invesco field, at the Invesco field. And uh, there were uh, certain magazines like Time who had access and positions uh, behind the stage from above where you can capture that sweeping vista of Obama waving to the crowd from behind beautiful image uh, and there are a few photographers i've seen that image uh, already published in in some newspapers there were um stands in front uh that with a 400 or 600 millimeter lens you you can you know have it all uh there's the traveling pack of uh the dnc photographers the ones that traveled uh, throughout the campaign with them and they were brought in as aaron we talked before the show they were brought in just before obama spoke and they had probably the best position of anybody they're right in front of the podium and of course, any of the you know hundreds of photographers would kill for that kind of access, but it's not going to happen. So, me personally, I was able to have access to the floor, but at any time they could lock down, uh, and they often did lock down your position. They wouldn't let anybody move. Um, so, you know, you try and get away with what you can. I would uh, move up to the front. I would take some uh, shots with 300-millimeter uh, range and then experiment with wider stuff and then get kicked out and move back. And, you know, I found a nice delegate that let me sit with them so I could sit. You're, you're very limited, but that's part of the challenge, and that's part of being professional. You still have to come away with, with interesting shots. And, and the, the, the lesson to the amateur photographer is, I mean, there are no real bad positions. They're just different positions. And in a way, I have an advantage, you know, the, the wire service guy is 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 stuck in that platform he's not going anywhere he's got one shot i can move around and if i happen to you know find an angle that is interesting with interesting foreground or delegates in front of me 
me, um, you know, I might get something better and more meaningful, you know, down the line. What was the what was the mix of lenses you were shooting with typically? Did you tend to have just one on there, or were you changing a lot? Well, I, I I like to work with one lens and move myself around as opposed to use different lenses. But you know, the beauty of these big events like the Olympics, um, both Canon and Nikon are there because they tend to be the the major manufacturers that professionals use, and they have all the toys for you to borrow. I mean, if I was younger, I would have probably borrowed the six hundred f four. I think it is. Maybe Scott has one. I'm not I, sure. I, it's just been shipped to me. I haven't received it yet. I, it, they were just real slow and releasing the new 600 f4 vr lenses but i mine will be here when i come back from alaska wow well it is a, a beautiful thing to behold not so beautiful to actually hold that's all Which about the a, tripod baby it's all about the <laughs> tripod and the nikon guys will tell you they have very specific recommendations of the kind of tripod that needs to be under a lens like that i i just wasn't equipped i did bring a, a small carbon fiber tripod and and frankly it wasn't my way of shooting and i i realized or you know i realized that it's just the field was a wild card we didn't know what our access was going to be and i was afraid of being really shut out but in the end it worked out worked out really well and uh i mean it's it's tight everybody wants to be close and and you know you've got secret service you've got police you've got trained staff of volunteers that you know they're just going around moving people around some are nice some are not so nice and it's <laughs> it's just all those things i mean there's there's just all those things that that contribute but but there's no question um you know when you're in that kind of an electrifying atmosphere you really have to kind of hunker down and kind of shut yourself out and concentrate because you can get caught up in the event just like everybody in the stadium does i mean it's it's kind of exciting but that's not why you're there you're there to come come back with with interesting photos so you can't really pay attention to the speech you've got to concentrate on the job at hand i want to let aaron get in here to ask a couple of questions because i know he shot a convention a few years ago but i i want to ask two real quick questions and i'd like you to give me some succinct quick answers steve because i i want to turn these into tips basically for our audience absolutely when you're sitting in that environment and you've got 80,000 people around you, and you've got the excitement, and you've got the hoopla. What's the single most important tool or, or, um, or bit of knowledge that you have to apply to get in there and get, get a shot that you're going to be happy with? Uh, for me, I, I think it's it's knowing what your theme is. So, great, for instance, great, great answer. Okay, leave it at that. All right, that's, fair enough. That's all I wanted. Theme, because I was hoping yeah. you were going to go there. Because see, theme yeah. is is something we need to start talking more about on this show, and photographers in general need to think about what is your theme. Because without a theme, you can't go. In fact, just talk about that a little bit more. What is what is theme, and and how did that play for you? I think once you make that decision, like for instance, you know, uh, you know, you're, you're shooting a lot of different things, but I decided that I was going to capture the rapturous look of people, uh, you know, the, the delegates that, that are just totally into what's going on. And uh, so once you have that theme, it, it's easy because you can scan and, oh, there's a guy that's just completely lost, looks like he's, you know, having an epiphany. I'm going to focus in that and shoot a bunch of stuff of that, and then I'll move on and, and find something else that applies to that same theme. Once you know what you're looking for, it becomes easy. Uh, in an event like that with so much going on, it's easy to be overwhelmed, and you try and capture everything, and in the end, you're disappointed because you've got mediocre of everything, and instead of looking at the visual potential of a certain situation and then just working that as opposed to trying to shoot 
in all directions. Yeah, I've got that same issue. I'm going to be shooting the bears next week in Alaska. And even though everybody says, well, bears are your theme. No, that's not narrow enough. I need to. I haven't decided on what my theme is going to be. But uh, I really think that's a great lesson. That's probably the, one of the most valuable things you've said since you've been on the show. I appreciate that. Aaron, uh, step right up here because I know you, yeah. you, were, you were in some of these conventions. Uh, what, what do you want to ask? And me? Scott, let me just add before Aaron jumps in. I just wanted to say that I didn't really I, – I let that theme sort of – I mean it's good to go in with a, a theme and, and, and try and work it. But be open to changing because I had, I had a sort of a different theme before I started. And when I noticed this – this, this kind of new theme, I, I decided, okay, that's going to be it. So leave yourself open as well. You don't want to lock into something. Fair enough. Mr. Aaron? Aaron? Oh, I'm, uh, the, certainly the, the focus here is, is Steve's experience at the DNC, so I don't want to take no, up too much time. Oh, you yours too, Aaron. Absolutely. Well, the, the, reason, the only thing I'm, I'm, reason I'll mention some of my experience um, is just to kind of set up some questions for you. Uh, when I shot the DNC, it was in uh, Boston 2004. And uh, when I was there, I was actually traveling with the Democratic uh, Party in the state of Virginia and shooting for the party officially. So my approach there, my, my presence there was actually with the party and to cover the delegates themselves and their experience. So it's not journalistic in the sense that I, I'm not, I'm certainly going in there actually with an agenda, certainly. I mean, I'm a, a member of the party and work with them so that I'm, I'm actually there shooting for their purposes and for their materials in the future. So, you know, that definitely affects and colors the way I approach things. And, uh, you know, one thing that you learn very quickly when you're shooting at, at any convention, and certainly at the DNC, is that ev- credentials are everything. And when I refer to credentials, I mean the, that big, glossy, you know, huge card hanging around everybody's neck that's various colors. And those are the access, you know, to all over the, you know, each card that you receive or each credential set you receive dictates where you can go and what you have access to. And I was quite lucky there that I had pretty much full floor access for the whole four nights. But again, it was to focus predominantly on one particular uh, you know, group that was there. So I was wondering, could you talk some about your process of shooting the DNC, how you got there, how you got involved with it, how your credentials were executed? I mean, did you, when I worked with the press photographers or met with a lot of them there on the floor during my four days, um, you know, a lot of them were having to rotate in and out for half an hour at a time, you know, because they were sharing credentials. So I was wondering if you could yeah. tell us some about how you got there and what, you know, what you had to go through and what your access restrictions or benefits were. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, this assignment came from digitaljournalist.org, which is the site that Dirk Halstead uh, created for photojournalists. And, it, you know, photojournalists go to it. And, and Dirk Halstead is uh, kind of a, a longtime Washington time contract photographer. I think one of his more famous uh, images was of Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky. And it was just before, you know, digital really was starting out. And uh, it was a throwaway picture. Um, actually, no, maybe digital had started and shot of this on film, but uh, it's the kind of thing that, you know, if you're going to delete images, you probably would have deleted this one. But he went back in his files after this story broke and found that uh, he had an image of Lewinsky and Clinton sort of embracing or together. And I think that picture probably made him a lot of money because it was the only one at the time. And you know how big that story was. Anyway, so he's got a long history of uh, Washington. And it's the, the Senate photographers that control the access. And uh, through Dirk, I was able to uh, get a pretty good access. I I thought it was actually going to be better. Um, As you mentioned, there are rotating floor passes that many photographers have to come. And I had it the first night, actually. So 
you have an hour out there. Sometimes it's 15 minutes. Sometimes it's half an hour. And then you've got to return your credential and get back again in, in the back of the line before you can get on the floor again. So, you know, if something happens when you're not there, you miss it. That's why having the access that you did was fantastic. Uh, it's a good news, bad news. The good news is you're there. The bad news is you kind of have to concentrate on what you're there for. And though you might want to shoot other stuff, you can't do it because you're working for the other guys. Did that answer your question? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, and I was, again, my, my theme, so to speak, in discussion was, was certainly the, you know, the experience of the particular uh, you know, members traveling from the state party of Virginia there. So I did focus on them a lot, but I was lucky to have a lot of freedom to run around the, f- the floor. And, uh, and I was wondering if you could uh, tell us a little bit too, just about, uh, you know, security there at the time. I mean, when I was there in 2004, I imagine it was probably very much the same or, or maybe even tighter uh, than it was in 04. But, uh, you know, the, the sheer number of Secret Service and other individuals that are around all the time and, and almost the layers you have to go through, you know, from outside the convention center to getting in are, are pretty phenomenal. I was wondering how much impact that had on uh, access and photography. Yeah, you just had to make sure you get there early because the process of getting in was relatively smooth. But, of course, they, you know, you got to go through metal detectors and they, they, it's like going on an airplane uh, today. So that's the kind of security. At the Republican convention last time, we had two layers of that. This wasn't quite as extensive. Uh, as that, which you know may or may not be a little su- surprising, and of course, you know there are more police than delegates almost i mean there 's a huge security, and that access pass that we have i mean that 's everything you don 't have that you 're immediately uh, in trouble and you're you 're whisked away so and and you know everywhere you go, the security is looking at your pass, making sure it 's the right one. It changes every day just to make sure uh, that uh, and for security purposes that 's part of the access problem they didn 't know what access photographers would have until closer to the event, and you know they 'd add a sticker to your pass, which meant that you can go into the buffer zone and it was very stressful in that regard because you always wanted good access and to get it you had to keep coming back to where the media people were to try and beg for it you know he almost felt like a stalker in a way to, to, to go back there it was, and, it was and not to mention if you go to the wrong place you might just get shot well, yeah, exactly. That's, that's a little don't stressful. Wanna, don't want to make any sudden moves. Steve, I want to wrap this up. I want to ask you, for, for those in our audience who are perhaps interested in investigating photojournalism as a style of photography that they want to embark on, uh, do you have any uh, resources or first tips? I mean, I know that's a big question in a short period of time, but, uh, but where would you advise people to start if they want to think about photojournalism? Uh, I think, you know, the, the, you can go down to your local big bookstore that has a magazine rack and newspapers and, and, and look through some of the, the, the news magazines like uh, Time and, and, and uh, you know, here in, in North America. Uh, Photo8.com, with, photo with an F, is a, a beautiful photojournalism site. It was a, it's also a magazine that's published four times a year that has some, some beautiful photojournalism. I mean, really, you know, photojournalism documents life. It's, it's not really that different from, you know, what most of our listeners are, are trying to do in terms of their own photography. And I think if you start to collect a bit of a tear sheet file of images that you come across in your publications or newspapers that inspire you to a certain extent, uh, it's good to go back to from time to time and then maybe start to emulate and, and, and see what the photographer did and maybe uh, try and figure out how you can achieve that uh, in the stuff that you're going to shoot. That's really cool. Now, if people want to um, 
learn a little bit more about this, I also want to suggest that um, you just follow Steve's work. Uh, following uh, Steve's work is a good place to start because I've seen his work. It's very, very good. He'll give you an idea of what you should be doing and uh, pay attention to his blog and, and website, which someday he promises to update. And, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm actually going to work to get some of this material up there soon. I know I'm going back. And the other thing, too, is I'm looking at this assignment as, as half done. I'm, I'm looking at both conventions as sort of right. one coverage, but I uh, hope to get something up soon, as well as maybe... Have you, uh, have you even had a chance to go through any of your photos yet, or is that all after you're done shooting? Uh, well, because I'm not on a necessarily a, t- a time-sensitive uh, schedule like like a lot of the guys are, they, they, they're actually, they have runners that are grabbing their flashcards and bringing them back, and photo editors are there immediately you know some you know in the photojournalism world the first one out is often the first one that gets that gets seen on on newspapers uh, around the world it's it's a time thing so the pressure's on to get it out first and man in this digital world it's almost instantaneous well we appreciate your insight steve real exciting to hear about what it's like to be at a big event like that photographing it and we'll uh, ask you to follow up uh, on your impressions of what it was like to photograph at the republican convention as well before we move on in the show i do want to thank drobo as our new premier sponsor uh... what do you need to know about disk drives well there are three absolute things you can guarantee when it comes to disk drives um, you need more than you, you have. Um, you'll always need more than you have, and someday the ones you do have will fail. So what do you do about it? You, you want to think about redundant storage, and that's where Drobo comes in. We have all been playing around to some degree with these Drobos, and they really offer this unique ability to help you protect against drive failures because they have self-healing capability up to 16 terabytes once 4 terabyte drives are available. You just throw the drives in there. If something goes wrong, you can pop them out and all the data that's in the little storage container known as Drobo is protected. I tested it. It works. You can pull a drive out, put another one in, and away you go. Real simple to operate. And um, Who here on the show has used or seen a Drobo? And have you used one, Steve? I've I've seen it in action. I haven't uh, used one yet, but I suspect uh, I will be using one uh, pretty soon. Yes, you uh, will, because you'll be getting one for the workshop. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard nothing but but good things. And you know, this, uh, people want simplicity and and they want to feel secure with their their work. I mean, it's it's all important. So when you have the two, I mean, it's a unique product. I know that Alex and Fred use them. How about you, Ron? I do not have one, but I have uh, pulled a drive out of a friend's just to see the reaction, and he was remarkably calm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like a party joke kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Aaron, yeah. have you played with one at all? I've not. <clears throat> I've seen them. I haven't played with them. I'm, I'm sitting here at my desk staring at, at five individual FireWire 800 or, or USB drives and thinking how much more sense it would make for that to be in a Drobo. So. Yeah, you can get that rat's nest off your desk. I had 16 one-terabyte drives sitting oh on my, my desk, and I got that all handled. I actually have two Drobos. They come in both FireWire and USB versions, although the USB versions won't be around for long. I use my USB as a backup for my Aperture Vault, and I have my main library on the main FireWire Drobo. And uh, every week, what we're going to do here on the show, for those of you that have Drobos or are thinking about getting one, we're going to have a tip of the week. And this tip really can save you a lot of time if you're getting a Drobo. When you get the Drobo, it will format 
using your operating system's built-in software, whether it's Windows or Mac. You can use your built-in software, for instance, on a Mac. We can go to the disk utility and format it, but I suggest you don't do that. The program ships with a free cross-platform product, and that product is called the Drobo Dashboard, and that's where I would format the disk. Now, you can format it to any size. The way Drobo works is you can add drives to it. You can start with two drives if you want to have some backup, and then you can add a third and fourth later. You can add bigger drives. If you start with half terabyte, you can move up to one terabyte. Now, someday, and not too long from now, four terabyte drives are coming. So here's the tip. Format for 16 gigs, even though the max you can put in today would be four. That way, when the larger drives come out, you won't have to copy your data over somewhere else, reformat, and copy it back. You can just start throwing in those four terabyte drives, and everything will immediately copy and heal. So that's my tip for this week for Drobo. If you're interested in purchasing a Drobo, we have a special deal for you here at TWIP. You can get $25 off the purchase of either a USB or a second-generation Drobo with FireWire by going to drobo.com slash twip. That's all you got to do, and uh, you get 25 bucks off. Uh, we just started this. I hope it's in action by the time you hear the show. If, it's, if, you, if you have trouble, let me know. We'll get you connected. But that's a special deal for Twip listeners, 25 bucks off of a Drobo. Uh, thank you very much, Drobo, for your support. It's, it's become a, a product that I can't live without, and uh, we'll see about... Uh, getting one in your hands, Ron, and uh, I know Steve has one coming, and same with you, Aaron, because you, you guys got to try this thing. It's amazing. I would be happy to try to one. It. I need Absolutely. one. I, I'm aware that I need one. Well, I, you know, I, when, when, are the, when are those four gig uh, drives going to come out, do you, do you expect? I, I, I don't know. Ron, do you have any idea when four gig drives will be, I mean, four terabyte drives, sorry. Four terabyte, yes, yeah, right. I, I thought it was supposed to be this year, this thing I saw, but I don't know if that's like right at the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's not far off. I would, I'd be surprised if it was more than a year or so. I've got four one-terabyte drives in mine, and uh, I'm only about uh, three-quarters of the way full because of the way it saves the data on my main Aperture library. So that's kind of cool. And then I have my vault on the USB version. So I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Plus, in theory, each is another backup of itself because all the data is redundant again. So I really have like four backups on two drives. It's kind of, it's hard to think about. <laughs> you just have to see it in action. It's hard to explain. But anyway, um, we'll, we'll talk more about Drobo in the coming weeks. We thank them for their support. Let's get to a couple of listener questions. Um, first one is going to be from Dennis Hansen. says, I'm going on a horseback trip to Yellowstone and I would like to get your tripod suggestions. I will be uh, using a Canon 1 to 400 zoom along with a D40 and a battery grip. So I'm looking for a lightweight but strong and functional tripod. Well, this is a simple problem, Dennis. Speed costs money. How fast can you afford to go? If you want it to be lightweight and you want it to be strong, you're going to have to pay for carbon fiber, in my opinion. Anybody else disagree? No, I, I totally agree. But you know what? It's the kind of investment that, you know, tripod in a digital world, a tripod you'll have your whole life. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and, and if you buy a good one, you'll have it your whole life. And for that reason, yeah. you know, I, I hear this advice many times, and I unfortunately did exactly what people say don't do, which is, well, you know, get one you think is okay, and it doesn't take long for you to realize that that was just a complete waste of money, and you should have just bought good in the first place. Yeah, most people that buy a cheap tripod are actually making a down payment on the good tripod they'll be making later, only they don't get their money back. 
Yeah, exactly. Hey, I got a I got a question for anybody here and or our listeners. I know that you can now get carbon fiber tripods off of eBay that are significantly less expensive than some of the brand names ones, and I'd love to hear some feedback from people that have tried those to see if they're decent or not. Yeah, I have no experience with those. I use strictly Gito. They have a lifetime guarantee. Most pros use them. They're made in France. They're distributed by Manfrotto. And if you got the money, that's the way to go. They start in the $600 neighborhood, usually. five, 600 is the cheapest you can go. Then depending on how much weight they'll support and how tall they are, they go up to eight or $900. But uh, I, I went to, to B&H, where, as you guys probably know, um, they've got all the tripods there. And I ended up, I, I got a Velvon carbon fiber, which I'm, I'm very happy with. How much does that cost, Steve? I think it was about three hundred bucks. It was it was less than the Gitzo, which you know, if that's the Rolls Royce, you know, it, it's it's a beautiful tripod. It works well, and uh, they're they're you know, no question. If you you buy the best, you're you're not going to be unhappy. But uh, I don't think you have to spend the money if you don't have it. Um, you can get there are cheaper alternatives, and the Velbon is is you know it, it, they used to be associated with sort of cheaper. Pro, uh, cheaper tripods, but the carbon fiber one that I've got is is really nice. Cool. And, and we we should make the we should make the point that we generally always make, but it's not just the tripod. Remember, it's it's the head that you put yeah. on it too. It's I was just about not. to get there, but once you buy the tripod, you still have to buy a head. <laughs> and yeah, that, exactly. That can add several hundred dollars as well. So this is not an inexpensive. In fact, most people. When they see the kind of money we tie up in in tripods and heads, they go, wow, that's more than my camera and lens cost. So you don't have to go this crazy. As Steve said, there are alternatives. Unfortunately, I'm not familiar with them, but I'm sure our listeners are. So if you have a carbon fiber tripod, which is the way to go if you want lightweight and sturdiness. Now, you don't have to buy carbon fiber if you don't care about lightweight. But if you want lightweight and sturdiness, you have to go carbon fiber. Uh, is leave leave comments in um, you know the comment thread for this show's show notes on the blog at twipphoto.com if you have experience with models that we didn't mention so everybody can partake. This also answers a question from Royce who had a similar question about needing a tripod that can hold a 30D with a grip and a 70 to 200. He says price is not a concern, so for Royce it'll want to be uh, Gizzo in my opinion. But so we answered two questions at once. Yeah. I, I thought that you'll was- have it. You'll have it for life until you lose it. Yeah, Scott. Let me throw in a little on that or a question for you too. Um, you're mentioning heads. I mean, heads can add a few hundred dollars, but in my experience, they can also add a few pounds. And are you aware of any any emphasis on on really good heads that also focus on being lightweight? In some well, way? most of the serious pros I I know use what's called the Arca Swiss system of head, which means that there's a a L plate, uh, a lens plate. Uh, or a body plate that slides into a tongue and groove system that can be locked down and absolutely positively will not rotate. If you remember those old style, you know, heads we'd buy with the cheap little clip you'd screw on the bottom of your camera, that thing would start to spin and it wouldn't be sturdy and, you know, uh, it, at the very least it would cause your shot not to be centered and sometimes it would fall off. You eliminate that problem with these guys. Now, then there are versions of those that are really expensive because, Aaron, they're lightweight. Um, I use the Acritec um, ball heads. They're in the $300 range, but they're very lightweight, under like about a pound and a half. You can spend uh, less money and get three, four pound ones, but then we're back to carrying a lot of stuff. So between my lightweight carbon fiber tripod and that ball head, I'm only at roughly seven, eight pounds. Now, unfortunately, when I have to bring my big you know, gimbal head, that all bets are off because that adds about five pounds. But 
uh, yeah, you can spend more and get a lightweight head, uh, or you can spend less and get a heavy head. All right, let's do one more question. We got so many we, we can choose from. Let's see. Um, somebody would like pointers on the sale of a used camera. Good. Jeff Cleveland says, um, someone who's just starting out and started with entry-level camera, I'd love to have you do a show on getting and selling camera bodies so that you can get them while they're still valuable and sell them in a way that you get your money's worth. Well, we aren't going to do a whole podcast on that, Jeff, but we will <laughs> say uh, we'll give you some advice. Uh, anybody want to take a, a stab at that one? He wants to know basically how do you gauge when you should sell your used bodies and still get some money out of them uh, you know, before they become worthless? Because that is a problem with the rapid transition from body yeah. to body. Yeah, I think when you when you have an inkling that something is on the way, I mean, if you can afford to get rid of it, you still have to shoot in the meantime. So that's a bit of the dilemma. Yeah. But for instance, like a 5D now is kind of like three uh, years old. It's a lame duck uh, camera only because we it's imminent. We're expecting it. But I mean, the 5D uh, um, is a great camera, and it's been a long time coming. They've been talking about this replacement for a long time. So, I mean, there's no real um, uh, the art is obviously Photokina's coming out. When you heard that the D3 was coming, get rid of your D2X or D2XS. D300's coming. Uh, D200. I mean, if you can if you can hear before on rumors, uh, maybe you'll get you'll get your maximum money. Yeah, I think you'll get top dollar when the rumor sites start to come out talking about a replacement, and I think from that day on, your dollars will go down. I mean, if I had a five D and I was thinking about upgrading, I I would certainly sell that thing this afternoon. Which is a great opportunity for someone looking to get a 5D, which is a fantastic camera yeah, let's talk, uh, at let's, a really good price. Let's talk about the other side of that. I know somebody who, in fact, is waiting for the 5D Mark II announcement, not because they're going to buy the Mark II, because they know that the 5D will fall further in price upon the actual announcement of the Mark II. So that's another great way to approach this. If you don't need the latest, greatest body, you can buy the one that, that gets replaced for a lot less money the day after the new one ships than you would the day before. Absolutely, yeah. I think uh, you know people that want a D three are waiting for maybe this D three X if it comes, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. So you know, target what you re- your dream camera and know that you'll get it at a, a, a you know almost a fire sale price when the replacement comes. Very good. Well, thanks, Steve, uh, for being the focus of this week's show. Next week, we'll do Q&A. The week after that, we'll have Artie Morris. Arthur Morris will be my special guest. Arthur Morris is considered by most people to be the world's foremost bird photographer. And he's actually going with me on my trip to Alaska, so I'm going to interview him while we're up there. We'll bring that interview into the show. I've known Artie a long time. He's, his book, The Art of Bird Photography, is the seminal work there is on the on the subject the follow-up version he did as a cd-rom book which is over 500 pages uh, he's been published in literally thousands of books and magazines uh if you've seen a bird picture and it wasn't mine it was his and uh it, you know, we're gonna have him on the show in two weeks so next week's q a the week after that i'll be back from alaska and i'll have my interview with Artie. we hope that alex will be back then sometime uh so that's that's that um we hope Fred will show up one of these days. He he's, he's was invited, but he did not come to this show. I know several of you have asked where he's at. Well, we don't know, but he's, <laughs> he's welcome to come when he wants to. Um, does anybody have a tip they would like to share this week for the tip of the week? 
Hmm. Okay. Well, I maybe, think Steve's on the hot seat for this one. Sure, sure. You know, one tip that um, uh, if you're going to be in an environment like uh, the convention, which is lit by television cameras, um, you know, your camera's auto white balance will generally do a good job, but the light is always changing. Um, if you can find out what the white balance is, and it's not that hard to do. You can just ask the lighting person there because the, these people are all there, the TV guys. Uh, it turned out, and, and the photographers eventually all knew this, that 5,000 degrees, if you set your custom white balance to 5,000 degrees, um, you would minimize your post-processing and get a very consistent result, um, as well as when the light is constant, you can put your camera on manual, so when the lights go crazy uh, and the spotlight's on, uh, your camera's automatic meter doesn't give you like underexposed, overexposed, as the light changes, you have a consistent, you don't nail it all the time, but if you're shooting raw, you're well within the range of getting uh, be- beautiful images. So, so yeah, when you're in that kind of artificial environment, there, there, there are things you can do very easily on your camera's menu to uh, put the odds in your favor. All righty. Thank you very much. Um, well, where can people find you, Steve, if they want to follow more of your stellar photography and, and musings about photo subjects? Well, thank you, Scott. Yeah, next to uh, my mom, uh, you certainly are my biggest fan. But uh, stevesimonphoto.com, and I hope to have some convention pics updated uh, soon. (laughs) I know I say that a lot, but uh, I mean it this time. All right. And Ron Brinkman... Now that you've relocated to Seattle, is it, uh, is anything else relocated, or are you still at your yeah, usual haunts? You can, you can still find my, my blog at digitalcomposting.com or just on the Twitters at Ron Brinkman. Just spell the name right with two N's at the end. Already. Uh, Aaron? Uh, you can find me at my blog as well, uh, halfpress.com, H-A-L-F-P-R-E-S-S.com, and also on the Twitter uh, by the same name, Half Press. And likewise, on the Twitter for me, it's Scott Bourne, or you can go to my blog, scottbourne.com. Don't forget to check out the Aperture Nature Photography Workshop. Only a week left to go there. You don't want to miss out on a chance. It's probably going to be the best chance you have to win this kind of prize package because the next contest for this project will be three months long and have a lot more entrants. So this is your best bet. We appreciate and Scott, just, just, just so people know, I mean, this, this thing is, you know, you enter and it doesn't cost you anything. Is that correct? There's for, no for- entry fee. A lot of these contests, they charge you money. We're not charging you any money. You don't have to pay anything to join Trade. You can get a free account there if you come in through F64.com through the contest link. It's just about as easy as can be. You throw an image up there. People will vote. At the end of the contest, the judges will vote. Their votes are weighted a little bit higher, obviously. Steve, you, you and I are judges along with Martin Gisborne from Apple. We are the three judges, and uh, we will pick four winners. Those four winners will be joining you, me, and some other folks in the Grand Tetons National Park. And, and it's all on Apple and, and our other sponsors. Uh, they get $2,500 worth of stuff. I mean, come on. It's a no-brainer. Throw a picture in there. You might win. That is actually amazing. I mean, when you think about it, so you're saying that the winners will not have any expenses. They won't have to pay for their flight. Right? Nope. We'll, we'll get them there. We'll put them in a hotel. They wow. get to, they get free aperture training during the day. They get to shoot early morning, late night in the park. Um, it, it, and they get all this stuff. They get a free Drobo. They get a free wow. Think Tank photo bag. They get $500 worth of books from Peach Pit Press, the number one photography book publisher. Um, they get a free Lynda.com subscription. They they get a free Lifetime Pro membership at Photrade. They, they get a free Lens Baby. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, inc- it's like... You, you have no risk, no cost. 
but uh, we do have some rules. You have to be at least 18. You have to be an amateur. And because of legal stuff, this is associated with lawyers. Don't yell at me. I got nothing to do with this, but you got to be a U.S. resident. I'm sorry. We're not doing this because we're mean. It's because the lawyers are mean. Uh, (laughs) But if you meet those criteria, come on. Join up. You got a week to go. So check that out. And Otherwise, be right uh, over at the blog, twipphoto.com, where we have stuff every single day. You can take our poll there. You can be a part of that community. We do have the Flickr group. So lots going on at Twip, but nothing happens without you. So thanks for listening. Until next week, we're going to put the lens cap right back on. And don't get eaten by a bear. (laughs) Is that the noise it makes? That's the the best we can do. Uh, (laughs) And I'm hoping...